Bow down, 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 down. I was just jamming out to Metallica while I did some bicep curls and some shoulder shrugs because I'm trying to not look like that guy. That guy that you see at the end of the bar that no girl pays attention to. That guy who goes to school if you're still in school and none of the girls think to themselves, hey, when I become sexually active, I want it to be with that guy or that guy or not that guy. I don't want to be the guy they say no to. That's essentially what I'm getting at. Welcome back to me, to you, the listeners. This is volume 34 of the Ben Again podcast. I am your host, yours, all yours, all sexy 500 pounds of me. And it has been again on this day, July 1st, 1997. Again, it's 2019. That goes without saying. I hope I don't have to say that. On this day in 1997, and here's what it says. I am not shitting you. It says... Hong Kong returns to China. I actually go to the History Channel every time I do this, and I, I look up the on this day, what happens, okay? So I, I cannot be blamed for this, but this is what it says. Hong Kong returned to China. Well, my first thought was, where the fuck did it go? This is not a person. What do you mean a, an entire city with, what, several million people population? It returned to China? I didn't even read the article. I just thought it would be funnier if I left it like this. Hong Kong apparently went somewhere in July of 1997, but it came back, so that's good. Fuck yeah, that's how much respect we're going to give to that on this day. <clears throat> and let's move right into the word of the day, because I like to get the formalities over with. And this is not a word, this is a term. And this is a term that applies to people who invest, but it is mostly applicable to gamblers. And I am not much of a gambler, but I do have an addictive personality, so if I ever were to have more than 14 cents to my name and become a gambler, I could see it being a tough hole to dig myself out of. This term is called the sunk cost fallacy. And I've always known what it was, but I only recently heard the actual term that applies to it. Because, you know, in psychology, I learned why gamblers get as bad as they get because it's an addiction and even though it's not a drug it produce it makes you your brain produce dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin these happy drugs these happy uh, chemicals in your brain that give you a euphoric euphoria feeling and uh, anyway I knew basically what it was and why it was but I didn't know the term and so now because I was watching Better Call Saul he was talking about the gamblers sunk cost fallacy and immediately I'm like oh shit this caught my eye or my ear I guess and I'm like what is that so here's what it is. Your future decisions are tainted by both the emotional, physical, uh, financial investments that you have already put into something. So for someone who invests, say you invest uh, 100 bucks in a stock that you thought for sure was going to fucking go up, well, you lose money on it. The sunk cost fallacy is going to somehow not allow you to just let that go, to cut your losses, as they say. You're going to try to get that hundred back plus some. Now, it's a mixture of having too much pride to admit that you were wrong in that investment, and it is also a combination of sometimes still believing in that investment. Like, I might have been wrong, but, you know, it's, it's eventually going to go up. It's, it has to. I, I know this. You know, I've studied. I Whatever. And that's not really my thing, investing in stocks and bonds. That's for Shannon. He can explain it much better. But as far as gambling... Uh, here's how it works from a psychological standpoint. Winning 
does not feel as good as losing feels bad. Now what that means is, if you were to win $10 and then lose $10, you're going to be even on paper. Mathematically, you did not gain or win or gain or lose anything. But in your mind, losing affects you more than winning. So we have this bias in our brains and it's as far as we know, it's just humans obviously because you don't see fucking giraffes gambling, but so that goes without saying. But we have this bias that we pay more attention to negative feedback and bad things than we do to good things. Uh, case in point, you have an, a great day. Like 90% of the day is awesome, but you have one bad experience at the mall. You run into somebody that you don't like and you have an argument, you get into a fight, whatever. You're not going to remember the 90% of the day. You're going to remember the bad thing. So we have this bias toward bad shit. And so when, when gambling, if you lose 10 bucks but then win 10 bucks, you're even, but in your head, you fucking lost 10 bucks, and that will get to you much more than winning will. So gamblers, and it doesn't matter the amount, you could win a $20 bet and then lose three $5 bets. You are up $5, but you lost. You lost three, and that's bullshit. I gotta go back. I gotta make more. I fucking lost three. Now I'm now I'm due for a win, especially in games of chance like roulette, uh, coin flipping, quote-unquote 50-50 uh, gambles. Uh, the sunk cost fallacy would would tell you, okay, I just lost three in a row on red, so I'm I'm gonna bet black because it fucking has to be black, you know, black. <laughs> Normally I'd insert racist joke there, but I don't have one for you. Or hey, it's been four times in a row now that it's landed on heads, and I gotta keep betting on tails because I'm already invested in this. The British have a saying: "In for a penny, in for a pound," and what that means is. Once I've lost a penny doing this, I'm already willing to lose a pound. Like, I'm invested in this. That's the sunk cost fallacy. Gamblers, they really struggle because one win does not feel as good as one loss feels negatively toward you. You have to win something like five or six times to every one loss in order for your brain, the average gambler's brain, to, uh, regardless of, of what the amounts are, it's the wins. Like, you could win a million dollars, but if you lose five $100 bets, in your mind, you're going to be like, fuck, I'm down 500 you, you just It doesn't recognize the good. It only looks at how many times are you losing versus how many times are you winning. It's something like five or six times to one for the average gambler, which is super interesting to me because I'm into psychology. So anyway, uh, the more you know, right? Uh, I'm a nerd, and I'm sorry that I know all this random shit, but... It could come in handy, you know, in some conversation in which you're conversing with people you know or don't know and something comes up and you, you know uh, you can think back to this or many of the previous episodes where you didn't know something and then you do. And it sounds lame and nerdy until you actually have a time where it becomes uh, useful and then you can put in your two cents and you sound like you a big dick baller because you know some shit that other people don't know. And, and it's only going to be like intellectual girls that are impressed by it. No dumb slut who's like, oh my god, my hair is like really bad today. Uh, my tits don't look good like they usually do. I need a bigger push-up bra that's stronger like Superman to push them up out of my shirt so that they're basically in your face. Oh, like girls like that, they're not going to be impressed by knowledge. But they will be impressed by a big penis that fills up their beef curtain pussy. And if you have that, go ahead and apply that to them. I'm obviously just like Shannon, more into intellectual stuff because, 
hey, being smart is cool. Anybody can be born with a nice rack or a nice butt, or if you don't have a nice butt, you can do squats until you have a nice butt. But you have to work on your mind. You don't just naturally know, know shit, right? So anyway, let's move on into this. I recently hung out with uh, Shannon and Jamie and Jamie's sister, Jessie, I believe her name was. And uh, I was the only person not drinking. So I'm the sober person and being the only sober person hanging out with buzzed people, you can still kind of relate. You're still kind of on the same page. Being the only sober person uh, amongst drunk people who are like stumbling over and slurring their words, that's an experience. That really tries your... Um, What's the word? It's not patience because they're your friends and you like them even if they're drunk and you're not. But basically you're just, you're not on the same wavelength. If we were functioning like waves of light, like the, the colors on the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, indigo, uh, violet, blue, you know, those colors, they would have been like orange and I would have been like fucking purple. Like we were just not on the same wavelength and it doesn't mean I didn't have fun, I enjoyed my time, but it's just drunk people and you can watch them converse and they're like oh my god you're not gonna believe this slurring and i'm just standing there sober as a bird and i'm like jesus christ <laughs> and there was i was the calmest quietest one throughout the entire night and there's no such thing as an inside voice let alone even a normal outside voice when you're drunk it is 12 decibels higher than it needs to be to the person who is two feet in front of you i'd be talking like hey you know the lake looks pretty, uh, the mosquitoes are biting me. And they're like, the lake looks pretty, mosquitoes are biting me. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, alcohol is crazy. So anyway, I'm not saying anything bad about them, they're my friends, and Taylor is my whatever you want to call it. But it's just the difference between drunk and sober is insane. And when I get drunk, I don't even get that way. It's just some people do. They, they like open up a can of not whoop ass, but whoop mouth, um, or whoop ear. They whoop your ears. Well, anyway, I have, uh, since June 8th or something, like almost a month ago now, I have pretty much eaten on day one, and then the next two days don't eat, and then eat again, and then the next two days don't eat, and then maybe like have a day off, day on, whatever. Basically, I'm, I'm fasting, and I'm losing weight at a pretty rapid rate, and it's nice. And early on in a diet, before you plateau, uh, you lose a lot of weight, and then it kind of blew whatever. But when you're basically consuming no calories because you're fasting, there is no plateau. You're just going to keep melting weight off as you chug water and don't consume calories. And it's great. I feel better. I feel lighter. Uh, I got up out of bed the other day and I just felt like there was less pressure on my knees. I can't even explain it. I felt like my carpet was softer. I don't, I, I suppose it's because instead of having, what I, I peaked at 246 at my last doctor appointment but I had like shoes on, sweatshirt, pants, like I was fully clothed. So I can fairly, I think, say that I was 240 if I were to take my shoes and clothes and sweatshirt off, whatever. So my peak was 240. So I'm down almost 17 pounds from then. And it feels good. Well, anyway, uh, Shannon made a comment at the end of the night when everybody's just drunk as fuck and slurring and about to uh, go to sleep. And he goes, I don't know what it is, but you look skinnier somewhere. I don't know where it's at, whether it's your arms, your face, your belly, your butt, but you look skinnier somehow, which makes sense because 17 pounds is a lot of body fat. You cut that shit off, that's a big, that's like a, a tote full of just fat. Like, where was it? I don't know. But it went somewhere. Kind of like Hong Kong, except this shit ain't coming back like Hong Kong did. Anyway, I hate people who fish for compliments. Compliment fishing shows that you are insecure, you want attention, 
and you're an Instagram slash Facebook slut. When people make those statuses like, I'm not pretty, it's like we, we know you're just asking for people to say that you're pretty because you think you're pretty. You don't actually mean that you're not pretty because anyone who's not pretty does not want to bring attention to themselves by saying, I'm not pretty, and therefore having people judge them even more. So that's compliment fishing. I don't do that. What I was doing was um, progress uh, analysis fishing. I just said, hey, Shannon just made a comment about how I look skinnier. And I said, Jamie, Taylor, what do you two think? Do I look like I have lost weight in the last almost month? Be honest, because... I, I just want to know, like, is this worth my fucking time? Which clearly it is, because the, the scale, which I don't really pay attention to, says so. But I said, yeah, like, just give me a, a quick, like, I'm not asking you to say, Ben, you're so pretty, call me, girl. I'm just saying, like, do I look skinnier? It's a yes or no thing. I don't need a compliment. Keep your pity. All that. Well, anyway, Taylor said, yeah, you do. And I was like, sweet. And then Jamie... This was the funniest moment of the night. And it wasn't funny to the drunk people, but it was funny to me because I was the only sober person. Jamie goes, Ben, you look... And then she paused, and she goes, I can't say it. I shouldn't say it. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, was she about to say something like, you look sexy, you look good, you look muscular? Like, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, oh, snap, she just stopped herself from saying something that she felt, and even a drunk person felt, was a little bit too far. And I was like, oh, snap. But I wasn't going to push her on it. I wasn't going to make her say anything she didn't want to say. And then Shannon goes, no, no, go ahead and say it. And Shannon was like, I feel like she was about to compliment you. And I was like, yeah, me too. And she turns to Taylor and she goes, Taylor, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. And in my head, I was like, oh, shit, she's about to say some crazy shit. Like, oh, he's hot as shit. I'd suck his dick, you know, whatever. I, I was thinking, oh, here comes a good compliment. And then... You know, because Shannon and Jamie are married, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, don't say something that's going to make it awkward. Just please tell me, did I lose weight or not? But when she said, sorry, Taylor, who is kind of my, my thing, my girl, huh. so she's like, sorry. And I was like, oh, shit, she's about, she apologized. She's about to say something, like, really hardcore. And then she turns to Shannon, her husband, and goes, honey, I'm sorry. You're my husband, but I, I'm going to be honest. And I was like, oh, she just apologized to her husband. She's about to say, like, man, if I was single, I would do this and this and this. And she's about to, in my head, she's about to, like, because who apologizes before answering a simple question? Have I fucking lost weight? Yes or no? She says sorry to two people before she gives her answers. I was like, oh, she's about to say some shit, like uh, some real vulgar sexual shit, because she apologized. And then she turns to me and she goes, I'm going to be honest. You look like dopey from the seven dwarves and immediately it was like all the air got sucked out of the area and I was like oh, the anticipation was killing me and it was killing them and they both thought that she was going to say something nice and it was like it was like a comedian bombing on stage and it just gets quiet there's no laughter there's no happiness it's all been sucked away there's no pride it's just a dark vacuum that's what it was on the deck she's like you look like dopey and I grew up on Disney movies. I don't need to Google what Dopey is. Dopey is the retarded, bald dwarf with huge ears that is so stupid he doesn't talk. He walks around with his tongue hanging out of his mouth. Like, the worst thing that you could say. <laughs> you look like a bald, big-eared, retarded dwarf. And I was just like, oh, that's hilarious. Because I didn't take it, like, I didn't take offense to it. I didn't take it personal. It was fucking hilarious to me, but nobody else laughed. 
I was the only one like, what? Out of all the things you could say, that's what you came up with? Why did you apologize to them for that? They're not the ones you called dopey. You're like, I'm sorry, everybody, except you, Ben. Ben, I gotta be honest, you look like dopey. The ugliest, dumbest, retardedest, uh, he can't talk, <laughs> you know? I speak one and a half languages. I'm being conservative when I say half of Spanish because I, I, I should have more credit than that, but he can't even speak, and, and, he, and I do kind of have big ears. I'll give you that. I am balding. I'll give you that. But dwarf, come on, bruh. I'm five foot ten, and it was just, uh, I'll never forget it. <laughs> that was just one of those funny moments. And uh, what are friends for if not to tell you, tell you like it is, tell you how it really goes, because goodness gracious, I just, that took the wind out of my sails, and I was just like, God damn it, Ben, just for that, you're going to have one meal, not an entire day of meals, and then it's back to 48 hours without eating. That's what that is. But they say that a uh, drunk man's words are a sober man's thoughts. So thank the liquid courage, the alcohol, for giving Jamie the ability to let me know what she thinks of me sober, and that is that I look like dopey, big ears, bald head, retard, tongue hanging out the mouth, that kind of thing. Really, really is good for my, uh, uh, what's the word? my confidence well anyway it's funny <laughs> speaking of drunk people I did have this as like the fifth part of my notes but I'm just now talking about drunk people so now we'll move on to this one and I'm not talking about this group in particular my friends uh, Shannon Jamie Taylor I'm talking about drunk people in general they believe a lot of things that they do not believe when they are sober I know I've been drunk it's liquid courage it inflates your self-esteem, your ego, uh, sober as a guy, you might not have the ability or the, the balls to walk up to a girl and talk to her. Now I'm speaking in general, not me, I don't have that problem. I can bring my fat ass up to any girl and talk to her because I already know she's probably thinking, no thank you, I just need to hear it, right? But anyway, guys in particular, they get this liquid courage in them. They would never pick a fight sober with that big dude at the bar, but when they're drunk they're just like, he better not fucking even look at me or say one word to me and it's just like, whoa, where'd that come from? That's alcohol. Okay, same thing with girls. You see a hot chick, sober, you're like, she's out of my league, and I know this. I'm not even going to waste her time or mine going up to her. But drunk, you're like, I could fuck her, you know? And it goes, it that applies to everything. To men, women, to your belief in how intelligent you are, how big your dick is, your confidence, whatever. Alcohol inflates you. It even makes your head physically bigger when you drink a lot, which is weird because it emotionally inflates you as well. So, my point being, um, <laughs> drunk people believe that they are psychologists, believe it or not. Never spent a day in college for psychology, but magically when they're drunk, they become therapists. They understand you, they know your life story. Um, I won't say who, but it's just funny. And again, this is not a personal thing or a beef or whatever, it's just, to me, it was funny. Uh, somebody recently, when drunk, was trying to tell me about how to solve my problems or my, you know, because Taylor and I broke up and then we've been kind of living together and on and off and whatever. Sometimes we're boyfriend, girlfriend, sometimes we're friends, sometimes we're roommates, whatever. Well, anyway, somebody recently who I drank with or was drunk when I was around me uh, said, I know exactly how to solve this problem. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> In my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. That's exactly how a therapist would approach this situation. Drunk, talking like this, so by this you already know it's a girl and not a guy because 
unless he's gay, a guy isn't talking like that. But this person said, you just need to like grab her and like tackle her and eat her alive. And I said, gosh, you should have drank more alcohol because then you would have continued with where you were really going with that. Eat her alive? What am I, a cannibal? What you were really going to say was eat her out. And yes, by golly, that would fix everything. That would fix all problems. She's like, you know, in my professional opinion, what you need to do is you need to like grab her and tackle her and eat her alive. And then she will just like fuck you and she'll ride your dick. This is what this girl said to me. And I said, holy shit, it's the best counseling, the best marriage counseling and therapy I've ever had. Thank you. That's what I said. I was being totally sarcastic. And some people might be annoyed if others are trying to tell them what to do with their life or their relationship. I thought it was, um, I thought it was nice. Like, clearly she's taking the time to let me know, even though that has nothing to do with the problems we had, or it has, it has no bearing on, it would basically benefit me zero in any way. So she was completely wrong, but it was like endearing how she thought to try to help. Like, you just, here's the problem with you. <laughs> You need to like hold her down and eat her out and then she'll ride your dick and then you guys will get married and have kids and be happily ever after. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. I needed that. I I've, could have paid thousands for therapy, but you, you, in summation, you, you summarized it really quickly for me and now I don't need to go see a marriage counselor or anything. And I was being sarcastic because obviously that's the dumbest fucking advice I've ever heard. But it was it was kind and endearing that this young lady like tried to help, even though it was like, oh my god, what you need to do is like, and <laughs> oh my god, therapists don't function that way. You will, Doctor Phil, one of the most world renowned therapists in the world. Ignore the fact that he has a TV show. Ignore that. A lot of that stuff is staged. I get it. But he is a legit counselor in therapy, and he did several years where he worked as like a children counselor and a family counselor. He knows his fucking shit. He knows psychology. He's an encyclopedia. He's a dictionary, whatever. And he will say, <laughs> let's not use Dr. Phil. Let's just say a really good professional therapist. We'll never just have you walk in the door and be like, you're having problems, like eat her out. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how much you think you have a wall put up, how much of a barrier you think that you have. Unless you are a sociopath or a psychopath, like 1% of the population or less, they're going to have you singing like a bird if they're a good therapist. You can walk into the office having all this pent-up aggression and this bottled-up emotion, and they'll have it out of you, you know? Um, you might think, I have these walls up and no one's getting through. No one's ever going to hurt me again. Again, that sounds like an emotional girl, but just people in general. You might think that you have a wall up until you spend a half hour or an hour with a really good therapist. And the best example I can give you, because I've had loads of therapy from different doctors and psychologists and therapists and whatnot, back when I was going through that whole, do I even want to live phase, back when I was, oh, anywhere from the ages of 12 to 22, I guess. It was like a 10 year span of, you know, I really don't have to wake up every day and go to school or work. I could just opt out, you know. Anyway, I, I went to several, many, more than I can even remember, therapy sessions with sometimes the same one, sometimes more than one at the same time, you know, whatever. Here's how it goes. In one I, in particular I remember, it was 
Dr. Jackson, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Uh, not, not that that's giving anything away. There's a billion Jacksons in the world. Anyway, I walked in, and I knew it was therapy, and he knew it was therapy. He's a therapist. He goes, so what brings you here? And I said, I don't know. I didn't feel like talking. I was closed off. You know, when people are depressed, that's the way it is. You have these, these walls or these shells up. And I said, I don't know. And he goes, sure you do. I can already tell you're an intelligent guy, which is a lie. He doesn't know me. But that's a way, you know, you compliment someone. You get them to feel just a, a smidgen good about themselves. And then they'll, they'll be more willing to, you know, converse with you. And I know this. I'm already, you know, at least a step ahead of that. So I'm like, eh, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, he goes, why are you sad? Like, what do you do? He just, he just simply said, like, what do you do each day? Because clearly your entire life led up to you coming into my door. He's basically saying, cut the shit. Let's get to chatting. We have an hour. And he goes, what do you do each day? And I said, oh, nothing. And I'll never forget this because that's a typical response from really depressed people. Nothing. Because time flies when you're depressed. Six hours can go by and all you've done is like lay on the couch or uh, lay in your bed trying to sleep or watch it, watch TV. It can be like six, seven hours and it's almost like you're on meth. Meth people, methed up people and coked up people, they can spend an entire night awake and then all of a sudden the sun comes up and they're like, holy shit, really? I've been up all night doing coke? It's like that with depression, except it, instead of uh, endorphins and dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and euphoria, instead of that, it's the opposite, where you're just sad and you're just in a puddle, right? Well, he said, what do you do each day? And I said, nothing. And he goes, Expl uh, explain or define nothing, because in my experience in this life, it is really difficult to just do nothing. Because even if you're just sitting still, you're doing something. You're sitting on the couch. Even if you're just laying in bed and thinking, you're doing something. He goes, nobody can do nothing. What, what the fuck do you do each day? And then I said, oh snap, like a light kind of turned on. I was like, well, I play a lot of video games. I watch a lot of TV. I smoke a lot of weed. And he goes, uh, do you think that makes you happy? And I explained to him, like I've explained in the previous podcast, I don't know what happiness is. At best, I've always been content. When I'm content, that's my version of happiness. Because I'm not bold enough to expect happiness. I know that wasn't meant for me. That's a quote from Al Bundy. But I just said, you know, I guess it passes the time. It passes the time and makes me not want to fucking kill myself, you know. And he goes, imagine if you were a life coach for yourself. Like you clone yourself. One's the life coach. One is the depressed person who's stuck in the mud. What would you tell that guy? And I go, well, I mean, I know that exercise is good for the body, and when you feel good physically, you'll feel good emotionally. So maybe I would tell him to exercise, and he goes, that's a start. What else? He's basically telling me, you already know all the answers. You're not an idiot. If you could just put yourself in my position or clone yourself and be your life coach, what would you say? And I said, well, probably eat healthier. I don't know. Stop drinking. Not be high 24-7. Feel, you know, face reality, emotions. And what he did was, without me even knowing it, he showed me that I had the answers all along. And not just because I went to high school or, uh, you know, took some college psychology classes. And, you know, I've taken like five years of psychology classes, but that has nothing to do with it. This isn't textbook learned stuff. This is, you, you know, deep down what the fuck you need to do to make yourself feel better. You might be in denial. You might be like super foggy depressed, whatever, but he basically taught me that you know deep down, 
like okay my my girlfriend broke up with me I am sad about it okay well uh, what should you do about it lay in your bed and be sad all day is that gonna help is that ever going to help no what should you do uh, go bang some hot chicks talk to hot girls try to get another girlfriend that's better than the last one improve yourself and that is what a therapist does they break you down and then they put the pieces back together in the right order and you don't even know it a good therapist will do that they won't go you need to just like eat your pussy and uh, like oh my god like the there's there's levels to this game when you look at something from a psychological perspective there's the bottom of the barrel and then there's like the middle of the barrel and then there's kind of towards the top and then there's the stuff that floats on the top and that's what these people are they are the best they'll have you singing like a bird as I mentioned so although the attempt at consoling me the other night this drunk girl was like just fucking like here's what you gotta do tackle her and I'm like holy shit why didn't I think of that you know so it was endearing that she tried, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> and, uh, I don't, you know, I appreciate any input or advice from any of my friends, even if it's terrible advice. Because what you, what you know in life are two things. Things that are right and things that are wrong, okay? Uh, my childhood was terrible. I did not learn the right way to be a parent from my parents, for the most part. My dad was married to a woman who, uh, for, for some reason, the duration of my childhood, they didn't get along as good as they could have. They're open about this. They'll admit this. And it had a bad effect on myself and my stepbrother. And I learned not how to be a good parent in that household, but I did learn what bad parenting was. Screaming and yelling and throwing shit and locking someone out of the house and fighting in front of the kids and yeah, all that stuff. I didn't learn the right way to be a parent, but I definitely learned what not to do. So I took that, you know? I took the, the negativity and I learned that I don't want that to be a part of my life if I ever have children. The same with my mom and my stepdad. The majority of my life growing up, I, it wasn't just in my head. I was straight up told by my stepdad that he didn't like me. He, I countless times was told that I was a loser that I, I remember being like 11 years old and he's like, you're broke, you have nothing, you're a loser. And I was like, but I'm a kid, what am I supposed to do, you know? And so I think he was trying, I think it was coming from a good place, question mark? I don't know, I don't know if that was like him trying to do negative feedback to try to get me to work harder or whatever, but uh, I remember I brought home a report card with a D on it and uh, boy, I caught hell for that from my stepdad and my mom. And I said, well, at least it's not an F. And he goes, do you know how fucking stupid you have to be to get an F? You're a loser, yada, yada, yada. So I learned growing up in that household not what to say to your kids to support them and offer them love and, you know, kind words. I learned what not to say. You don't tell a kid halfway, half of his childhood that he's a loser and he's going to be a loser and he's just like his cousins who are in prison. And, you know, I was just, what do you do? You know, I didn't have the... The psychology in me to, to be able to rationalize that. All I knew was that every house I went to wasn't a home, it was a house. And I didn't feel welcomed. And uh, that's why both my mom and my dad took it upon themselves to say, hey, uh, I know things aren't good for you here. It'd probably be better if you go live with your dad. I, I recommend it. And then if I was like, oh, I don't know about that, I don't want to switch schools, they'd be like, no, no, you don't understand. Wink, wink, 
you should probably do it. They're basically saying, go do it. They weren't ever going to make me. I won't make it sound like they were kicking me out, but they were very adamant that it would just be better. Like, my mom was like, yeah, go live with your dad. Things here aren't peachy. It's like, and I didn't want to be, a, you know, a burden on the family. I realized there's the stepdad, the mom, and two sisters. So just because this loser is living with them, that shouldn't make it such a negative household. And that was part of my thinking. Even at an early age, I realized... I'm going to make things easier on everybody. I'm just going to go live with my dad. And then, uh, not one to beat around the bush or sugarcoat things, my stepmom, Robin, when she was having a screaming fight with my dad one time, those walls were never thick enough. They were too thin. I heard everything. I was not appreciated. I was not <laughs> welcome there. Anyway, one of the times when they were having a scream fight, she actually yelled in front of me. I'm sitting on the couch, and they're having a living room fight. And she goes, it's him or me, Bob. One of us is gone. And I'm, I don't know, I think I was 10 years old or 11. I was pretty fucking young, 12. And I was just in my head thinking, what did I do? That's so bad. You know, I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't stealing shit. I wasn't causing problems at school. I, she just didn't like me. And that's just how it is. And she was open about how she didn't like kids. She didn't even want to have her own. But I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, I guess I'll go live with mom again. Maybe her and stepdad John have forgotten about why I came here in the first place, which was because it's probably best if I come here. Turns out it wasn't best. That was my childhood. So I learned not how to be a good parent, but I learned what shitty parenting is, and I learned that I'll never do that to my kids if I have them. So learning the wrong thing to do, the whole point of this is learning the wrong thing to do is just as good as learning the right thing to do. It might not have a positive effect on, on the uh, offspring when they grow up to be quote-unquote adults. They might not ever be normal you know, but at least they'll know the difference between good and bad, right and wrong. So it probably would have made a much better person if I had a loving home, you know, and I was never told that I wasn't wanted there in both homes back and forth. It might have made me a more confident, uh, better result, you know, overall. I'd probably be like a CEO at a, at a fucking law firm or something instead of being this dork who has nothing going for him. But I had this conversation with my dad the last time we had lunch. I said I, I might be poor, like, financial-wise, but I have a big heart, small dick, good person, I'm good to people, people like me, I'm told I'm quite funny, have a good personality, I'm told that I'm rather intelligent and informative. That's great, you guys know that, if you've listened to 30-some-odd hours of me just rambling. But I said I'm, I'm, not, I'm poor financially, but that doesn't mean shit to me, this whole social construct of... Uh, you know, like uh, the hierarchy of rich, uh, middle class, lower class. I don't care about any of that. I can be zero class. I don't care where I'm at on the totem pole there. What I care about is that I make the lives of as many people as I can uh, better for the time that I'm here. There's an old saying that goes, we're all just walking each other home, and eventually it's going to be like your stop. Imagine there's a group of people walking down a street full of houses. We're all walking each other home. Okay, it's Dave's time to get off here. Dave dies. We walked him home. Then we continue moving as a group. Oh, we reach the next house. Whose house is this? This is Josh's house. Bye, Josh. Like, if we just walk each other home and make it make life as good as we possibly can for each other while we can, I feel like that's much more valuable than any billions of dollars. Although it would be nice to have a yacht. I just don't give a fuck about that. I never have. I've never been financially driven. I've never been driven, period. But if it was... If I was, it wouldn't be because of money. Moving on.
my all-in or all-out mentality, I've briefly touched on it, and I had to explain this to Taylor the other night about just things in general. I said, I'm not picking on you, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just saying I'm all-in or all-out. That goes to family, friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, cousins, uh, hobbies. I'm never just going to play a video game once a year. I'm either going to fucking play that shit till I beat the game, or I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to just log on and then for a couple days, you know, fuck around on it and then never play it again. I'm going to beat the game or I'm not. I'm not going to watch three episodes of a series, Game of Thrones. Why would I watch just three episodes of it? And this isn't because of the sunk cost fallacy. It's not because I feel I've invested too much already that it would be uh, impossible for me to just not finish it. It's because that's my mentality. This is not a fallacy. This is a mentality. I, I'm not going to watch four episodes of something and then go, well, I like it, but I'm not watching it anymore. I'm all in or I'm all out. I can't just eat smaller portions of food because, like I said, I'm a man. I'll, I'll, I'll clean my plate. I'll make sure nothing gets thrown away because I hate to waste food. I'll touch more on that in another podcast, but I'm all in or all out. So that's what I was telling her about the relationship. I'm either all in or all out. I'm not sometimes boyfriend, sometimes friend, sometimes roommate, uh, potentially future husband. I'm none of that. I'm all in or I'm all out. And if you don't meet me that, you know, halfway, then I was telling her as much as I adore you, because I don't use the word love, I use the word care or adore now because we're not uh, quote unquote officially together, but I'm like, I care about you. I don't want any other chicks. I adore you. But unless we're meeting each other halfway and this is all in, it's, it's going to be all out. That's my, you know, and she understood. She's not dumb. She's a smart girl. You know, she gets this stuff. She has had nothing but shitty boyfriends prior to me where communication was not a thing and where cheating was a thing and lying was a thing. But now I carefully explain everything and I make sure that she understands me because I'm not going to go to bed with somebody not knowing where they stand, right? I'm all in or I'm all out. And uh, I had one meal yesterday. I had the rest of a little tiny piece of meatloaf and I had a chicken breast and then I had coffee <laughs> and that was yesterday and then the rest of yesterday I had nothing all of today I've had nothing but coffee and water all of tomorrow I will have nothing but coffee and water it sucks my stomach won't stop growling at me and bitching at me to eat but you know what sucks more being fat your boy is gonna be skinny I told people a month ago mark my words I'm getting down to 185 and I am I'm like 16.5 pounds down, you know? So it's gonna keep happening. I'm fucking all in on this. It doesn't matter if I'm at somebody's house and they're grilling and the food smells good or they're drinking and I wanna drink. Can't have that lemonade. Sorry, that's sugar. I'm all in. Maybe that's too black and white for some people. And they say that balance is the key. Everything in moderation, yada, yada, yada. Well, if that works for you, good. It doesn't work for me. I can't just have one or two hot dogs. I'm either eating eight hot dogs or I'm not eating. That's just how it is. You get a large pizza for me, I'm not gonna have one or two pieces and be like, I'm good, thank you. I'm still hungry, the pizza's good, it's delicious, I'm eating that entire large pizza. Or I'm not eating. And so I, I guess I just chose to not eat. It's the only way I can do this. I don't have the, I don't even know if it's discipline because this takes much more discipline than getting to eat. But I think it's, I just don't have the patience for it. I was Googling and doing some reading about like 
the rate at which people lose weight on average. And they say that at most, if you just diet and exercise, you'll lose 15 pounds in a month. That's bullshit. I've seen people lose weight faster than that. I'm not dieting. I'm fasting. <laughs> I'm going to be a skinny motherfucker. By the end of July, I already wrote it down on the calendar too. I wrote uh, on the calendar, uh, the question of the month is, can you eat today? And here are the answers. And I just filled out every day I wrote, no, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. So if I wake up hungry and I'm not sure what day it is or whatever, I'll go, I'm hungry. Can I eat today? And then I'll look at the calendar. If it says yes, I'm eating. If it says no, I'm not eating. That's the end of that. And I recommend this because it just feels good. I feel like I have more energy. I feel lighter on my feet, as I mentioned. Moving on. Drink some water. When you talk as much as I do, you start to get like cotton mouth. And it's weird because you can't have this type of uh, setting when you're talking with somebody because you being the only one talking isn't going to be a conversation. You gotta stop, you know, swallow the saliva in your mouth, let them talk, listen, exchange ideas. That's a conversation. This is not a conversation. This is a lecture. <laughs> That's how it is. So I have this theory and I want to share it with you guys. It's called my fat slash ugly girl Wi-Fi slash phone service theory. And I've had this theory for a long time, but I only recently wrote it down and decided to mention it on the podcast. It's called the fat slash ugly. Let's shorten it up. Let's call it the fugly girl Wi-Fi service theory. It goes like this. When I, and this has been even when I was like a dime piece, there was a time when I was like super attractive. I'm not now, but it doesn't matter whether you're a 10 or a 9 or an 8 or a 5, whatever. This has been consistent my entire life. When you message, text or messenger, when you message a hot female, they don't answer very often, very quickly. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, like I said, an attractive guy or not. They'll either answer really slowly or not at all. And so my theory is, hot girls, they just don't have good service. They don't have good Wi-Fi. Because why else would they fucking rarely answer, if ever, when you message them? That's just rude. I can't let myself believe or accept that these women are all hot and rude. So, hot chicks, they just don't have good service. They need to get better phone service or better Wi-Fi. Fat, ugly chicks, they answer before you even finish sending it. I know that's not possible, but you get the idea of what I'm getting at here. Think of the like ugliest, fattest, horniest ugh, girl on your Facebook friends list and just message her. Be like, hey, want to get some drinks sometime? You'll like back out of the conversation thinking, ah, she'll eventually answer. And before you finish backing out, she's like, oh my god, yes. And it's like, wow, your Wi-Fi and phone service is really good because you got that right away and answered. Doesn't work that way with hot chicks. That's just how it is. <laughs> and I don't know, probably like a year ago or so, just she's she was a f not even a friend, an acquaintance, someone that I talked to pretty frequently on Messenger, uh, hot girl, very hot, and I messaged her like a picture, and then I asked her a question because I know her, and I was just kind of like saying, "How's it going?" So she didn't even get it right away. Uh, there's that empty hollow circle which means they haven't gotten it yet and then when that circle fills in it means they've gotten it but they haven't read it and then when they've read it that little circle that's filled in will be replaced by their 
the picture of them, meaning, okay, they've seen it. So she didn't even get it right away, and I was like, ah, yeah, I forgot hot girls don't have good service, good Wi-Fi. And then eventually it turned gray, and I was like, ah, okay, cool. So it took her like four days before she even read it. And you only know this because it's by their, you know, it's by the conversation in your messenger. And then eventually I was like, oh, she read it. She just didn't respond. And I was like, ah, maybe she was in a loud place and couldn't text because you know how you, when you're on the phone and people are being loud around you, you can't have a conversation. Maybe that's happening. She can't text because people are being too loud. That's what I told myself. And she just never responded, never again after that. And I had talked to her in the past. You know, it's almost like the, the fatter I got, the less I got responses. But I had talked to her in the past all the time. And uh, so it confirmed my theory. I have never seen any evidence contrary to my theory. Attractive females, they have good service, good Wi-Fi. Or bad, rather, I'm sorry. And fat girls, they have really good service and Wi-Fi. They answer you right away. Prove me wrong. Message a hot girl, message a fat girl. Which one answers first? Okay. Um, moving on. The importance of words keeping their unique meanings. What do we mean by this? I'll give you an example. Table, chair, those are not the same thing. Bike, car, those are not the same thing. And I know we have recently moved into this quote-unquote progressive era, politically correct era, in which some things no longer have a unique meaning, i.e. male, female. Those used to be separate things. Now, a male, if you feel like a female, can be a female. And a female, if you've always thought in your head you were a male, can be a male, and vice versa. And you can even switch. There's a recent development. You can switch back and forth. A female can be like, I'm a trans male. I feel like a guy. And then wake up the next day and be like, well, I'm feeling pretty feminine today. I'm a girl. Apparently biology, fuck biology, right? Fuck all that. Social constructs matter more. If you feel like a woman, you're a woman. doesn't matter if you have a dick and balls. Twig and berries, you're a girl. So I really think that the social economy is really going in a bad place, in a bad direction, when words no longer maintain their unique meaning. When I mentioned table chair earlier, that's important. That's relevant. I offer that because let's say I go on to like eBay and I'm trying to sell this marble table. And then I go, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't want to sell the table anymore, but I have this chair, this wooden chair. It is basically the same thing. I mean, it feels like a marble table to me, even though it's a wooden chair. The buyer does not want that, much like how the buyer, uh, the person going to the bar trying to get laid, who wants a female with a vagina, does not want a person who is a male biologically with a dick dressed like a female, pretending to be a female. You want the product that you want. Words matter. Their unique meanings fucking matter. A bike is not a car. If you tell a girl, hey, you can ride with me on the way to town. You can just ride in my car. And then she shows up and you have a bicycle. And she's like, where the fuck's your car? And you're like, ah, just, you know, put your feet on the pegs and balance and I'll drive you. That's, that's not the same. Male, female is not the same. It is not interchangeable. I'm kind of disgusted with my fellow humans that that's even an argument. Like, go back to like 1940 and tell those real men back then who wore suits, who didn't have man buns, who didn't wear skinny jeans. Real men. Tell them, hey, uh, like if I were to go back in time and be like, hello there, Paul. I'm, uh, I feel like really feminine and girly today. I identify as a female. 
and it's really sexist and racist and homophobic and transphobic and LGBTQRSTUV of you to not call me a girl. Call me Mrs. Bransner. And if you don't, you're fucking sexist and you should have to apologize on TV. He would likely pull out his gun and shoot me. And I would not argue. I mean, if, if, if that was what I was really saying, I would happily get shot if I was trying to be the leftist garbage person that is so rampant these days. It just drives me fucking nuts. I was making fun of uh, trannies one time, like in 2016, and I was like, yeah, there's only two genders. I think I told this story once, but there was a guy who was saying that if I believe that, I'm a moron, and uh, biology has been proven wrong before, and it'll get proven wrong again. The, the gender is in the brain, not the uh, genitals. So, like, if a man, biologically, all of his chromosomes are XX or XY or whatever. Um, yeah, it's XY. Women are XX. If a man whose chromosomes are all XY uh, feels like a female, the chromosomes are irrelevant. The penis and balls, the testicles, they're irrelevant. That long urethra that women don't have, that's irrelevant. That's a female. And he said if a woman has ovaries and uh, she has a period once a month and she has tits and a vagina, but if she feels like a man, he said, his name was Brady, he said, that's a man, and for you to say anything else makes you a piece of shit. And I was like, oh, fuck me, wow, okay, didn't know that. I, I, I appreciate knowledge. I, as you guys know, I appreciate learning new things. So I was super glad that he informed me that if I feel like a girl, that makes me a woman, and biology doesn't matter. So I appreciated that. I appreciated the knowledge. Thank you. Wow. 10 out of 10, right? The importance of words keeping their unique meaning. Let's hold on to that, please. Okay, we're going to wrap it up on this. When you are into doing drugs, and I do not consider to be weed to be a drug. I consider it to be a fucking plant, a flower. It has flowers. Who's to say that it's not a flower, right, buds? Weed to me is not a drug, but we're going to use weed as an example. When you're into drugs, whether it's coke, fucking meth, whatever. If you have ever been into this, and I'm not talking about if you just do it once in a while. I mean if you constantly, like every day, smoke. You need to always make sure that you have a stash to smoke from. You do not wait until you are completely out to then go, Hey dude, uh, it's me again. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, I'd like to get some ganja. You know why you don't wait until you're out? Because it is fucking impossible for any dealer to be punctual. Punctual meaning on time. If a guy says he's going to have weed on Tuesday, do not count on him having weed on Tuesday. Because he's probably not going to have it till Thursday. Because he's doing the same thing that you're doing. He has a stash, but instead of smoking it, he's selling it. And when his stash runs out, he can't just go to his guy and go, Hey, I'd like to get some today. Like, it's 11 a.m., I want to meet you at noon, hook it up. Because that's not how dealers do business. Dealers are the least punctual people in the entire fucking world. If you want weed at noon... 1% of the time, you're going to get weed at noon. Most of the time, here's how it goes. Hey, uh, I need a bag. Can I get a quarter? Quarter ounce. You know, usually 80 to 120 bucks, depending on how Jewish your dealer is. And he'll go, yeah. So let's say that he doesn't have it yet, but he's going to get it. He'll go, oh, yeah, I just got to um, call my guy. I'll call you back. And you're thinking, click, okay, cool. He's going to make a phone call. He'll call me right back. 45 minutes goes by, two hours goes by, and you text him and you go, hey, like, so what happened? You... What's going on? And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, still waiting to hear from my guy. 
And it's like, okay, Jesus Christ, I wanted a bag of weed. I wanted to go smoke and fish or smoke and throw disc, disc golf, whatever. Every fucking time, 99 out of 100 times, we'll say, this is how it goes. They're never punctual. When they say noon, they don't mean noon. They mean, oh, I'll try at noon. And then they have to get a hold of their guy. That guy has to get a hold of their guy. And it's, it's a never-ending cycle. So if, you're, if you've ever done drugs or been a frequent buyer of drugs, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. It is the most obnoxious shit in the world. I fucking hate it. I'm punctual. If I say I'm going to be there at 5, the latest I'll be there is 4.59. I'm on time. If you're on time, you're late. Okay? But my on time is I'm a little early. If I say I'm going to meet you at the frying pan for lunch at 3 p.m., I'm going to be there at 2.50, waiting. Hopefully you're there too at that time because then you can get going early. Nobody fucking waits for me. I'm punctual. That's a respect thing. That's a discipline thing. Oh, sorry, I was uh, I was going to be there on time, but I had to, um, I was hungry, so I grabbed something to eat, and I, uh, uh, my guy, uh, he didn't call me back. And it's like, Jesus Christ, let the fucking clock be what it is. Kind of like how words have their meaning. Time has a meaning. Three is not the same as fucking 3.45. Four is not the same as seven, okay? And I hate this, and I don't miss this at all. I don't miss those days of always trying to locate ganja because even when you think you've found a source, a sustainable source who's never going to let you down, you're going to call him one day and he's going to be like, dude, town's fucking dry, man. Like, can't get weed anywhere. And it's like, you're a dealer. Your job is to figure it out. That's why I pay you. That's quite literally your job. Okay, well, it's dry. Okay, it's dry. So check another town over. Ask your guy to ask his guy to... You know, figure it out. Talk to somebody. There is no excuse for this. So, I fucking hate it. And I wanted to mention this because some people I know drove two, three towns away, like an hour and a half away from here, to go pick up some, uh, allegedly, some coke. Some people that I know. And they made plans a day in advance. They made plans yesterday. Today is a new day. It's like 24 hours later. So they go up at the time they were supposed to go up, the agreed upon time. And I, out of curiosity, I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, did you get that ganja you were looking for? Weed, meth, coke, drug, I'll just say drug. Did you get that, the drugs you were looking for? This person messages me back, nope, we're just sitting here in the parking lot as we have been for three hours waiting for the guy to call. He has not called us back. And I was like, ah, Jesus Christ, I do not miss that shit at all. I would punch that guy in the face and take his drugs just for that. Okay, a day ago, I told you at 6 p.m. I would meet you in the Walmart parking lot. Here it is, 9 p.m. You haven't even called me back. And so they eventually get a text message from the guy. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, waiting on my guy, uh huh. He's, he's running a little late. He stopped in Omaha, Nebraska to go to a strip club, and he didn't tell me he would do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I fucking hate that shit. Let 5 o'clock mean fucking 5 o'clock or 6 or 7. What have you. I hate it. It's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me nuts. If I ever become a drug dealer, I'm going to tell you, hey, I'll meet you at the shopping fucking blowjob at 6.30 p.m. If you are not there by 6.35 p.m., I'm going home. You know why? Because my time means something. I don't care if I have unlimited free time. I am not sitting in a parking lot for 45 minutes just because you didn't anticipate that there might be a little traffic. It's 2019. You didn't anticipate that 
There might be an accident ahead of you. I don't care what fucking excuse you have, it's not good enough. Words mean something. Let's keep it that way. Numbers, they know what they're doing. That's a quote from Theo Vaughn. Numbers know what they're doing. And at the, at the time, it didn't make sense to me, but it makes sense now. Numbers fucking mean something. Let's let it mean something. Drives me fucking nuts how stupid people are these days. They're just fucking retarded. So anyway, um, we're going to wrap this one up. It has been a good one, I believe. I believe I talked at 6,000 words per minute this entire time because the only thing in my body is two large coffees and water, no food, nothing else. I believe I said it was volume 34, but if I'm wrong, it's 35. Eh, who gives a fuck? It's, it's a number. They know what they're doing. Take care, everybody.